Moses tells her the hour is fast coming when the place of worship will be inconsequential because God is spirit and any place can become a holy place, a thin place, even this place. That's our very high intention that as we engage with Dr. Taylor's work here, this place will become a thin place. Welcome to a Thin Place podcast with Dr. Larry Taylor. Hi, my name is Mike Young. I'm looking forward to sharing this sermon with you guys today. I had a long, wonderful conversation with an old friend a few days ago. And like most of these great catch-up conversations between these types of friends, we covered many topics. Family, work, church, politics, theology. And since we both share similar opinions on the more divisive topics of the day, we were both able to speak freely and animated about all of it. It was really a wonderful conversation. However, an undercurrent, uh, at least for me, was this gnawing awareness that we are so polarized about just about everything these days. There's hardly a topic that arises that couldn't eventually fall into the abyss of our current divisions. It seems difficult these days to agree on what we once might have viewed as common ground. One time years ago, I was talking to Larry Taylor about the divisions that we were negotiating at that time in our particular tribe of Baptists. He said something that was, has stuck with me and has proven to be true. He said sides tend to draw boxes around what they believe, and then they defend their box. What's correct, who's in, who's out. And the problem with that way of looking at things is there's always a smaller box. And when the box continues to shrink, we eventually find ourselves alone. The sermon we'll listen to today came on as I got into my car, literally as I was leaving the conversation I just told you about. It was preached nearly 20 years ago at Emmanuel Baptist Church, and it was striking to me how perfectly relevant it was to this 2020 conversation I had just had. He quotes Larry Rasmussen, who said that the reason people are talking about community is because it's both indispensable and yet missing. And Larry points out that community is born when someone's need becomes everyone's concern. That, at least it seems to me, seems to be the prescription for what ails us today. So, here is If This Be Not Community by Dr. Larry Taylor. The final paragraph of the fourth chapter of Acts begins with verse 32 and reads like this. Now the company of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus 
and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was surnamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. These verses read like a summary and that's exactly what they are. Luke loves to give his readers occasional summaries here in the book of Acts, and this is one of them. There are about seven or eight of these brief summaries. They divide Luke's narrative into segments, and at the same time, they serve as the connecting glue that holds the story together. It's a nice way to transist from one subject to another. This particular summary that I've read gives us a window on the earliest church. We're invited to look through that window. And when we do, what we see is the church concern with everyday practical matters. There were needs that had to be taken care of. Some were hungry. Others were better off, and so they had gifts to give. Economic concerns were real and they were addressed by the church. And the thing that stands out most from this summary is the way that the church becomes the place where needs and gifts find one another. The spiritual quality of this first church's life was all wrapped up with the human economic dimension. But prayer was also important to this Jerusalem church Luke notes that the whole company who believed were of one heart and one soul. And witness was going on. The apostles gave testimony to the resurrection, and it's implied that this testimony was so powerful because of the internal quality of the church's fellowship. The community itself was a demonstration of resurrection. It's a timely reminder that every church is potentially a resurrection center. Through this small window on the church, we can also see that these members felt an intense responsibility for one another, so much so that no one considered his possessions to be his own if someone else had need of them. There was this impressive desire to share. It was completely spontaneous. There's all the difference in the world between charity of the heart and charity that's legislated. The members of this Jerusalem church brought their gifts and laid them at the feet of the disciples as an act of submission. Symbolically, they were laying themselves there. And then in a single sentence toward the end of his summary, Luke permits a character to appear in this window on the early church. It's just a cameo appearance, but we'll see a lot more from him later on in Acts. 
Luke likes to do that. He likes to introduce his major figures by having them make a brief appearance at first. This character's name was Joseph, but he'd been given the name Barnabas by the apostles because Luke tells us that name means son of encouragement. Barnabas is singled out here for mention because he incarnated the generosity of the entire church community. Why, he even sold a field that belonged to him and laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. This man, Barnabas, was a caregiver. He understood very well what the Christian does when he has gifts and someone else has needs. The New Testament doesn't know a thing about a Lone Ranger faith. There is no faith without community. The church helps a person find himself or herself by incorporating them into a community. And whenever the church impacts the world, it does it as a community. The Jewish tradition, of course, had a long history of community and sharing. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's written, since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and the needy neighbor in your land. The wisdom writer in Ecclesiastes said, two are better than one because if they fall, one will lift up the other, but woe to the one who is alone and falls and has no one to help. And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Community. Whenever the Lord Jesus set out on his mission in the world, he didn't try to go it alone. He gathered about himself a community of men and women. They were a diverse group whose only common ground was a devotion to Jesus. It must have been a difficult thing to bring a conservative Republican like Matthew into community with a liberal Democrat like Simon the Zealot. And what about the tempestuous sons of thunder, James and John, in company with the thoughtful and reflective Thomas? The church is first and foremost a community. It's always been so. We can hear this motif running through the letters of Paul to his struggling little infant churches all over the Roman Empire. To the Corinthians he wrote, put things in order, listen to my appeal, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And again to these same Corinthians, God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but be united among yourselves. And to his beloved Philippians, Paul wrote, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. 
having the same love, being in full accord. The church is preeminently a community. The company of the committed, Elton Trueblood, the Quaker theologian, called it. And like any community, the church can let differences divide it or it can emphasize what unites us. And what unites us is a common love for Jesus. Paul wrote the Ephesians, He, Christ, He is our peace. The British historian Herbert Butterfield said, Hold to Christ, but in everything else be totally uncommitted. Christ produces community, all else divides and threatens community. Maybe Christ is Lord is adequate creed for us. Every one of us knows personally, deep down in our souls, about the loss of community. The reason there's so much talk about community today is that we've lost it in the society. We've engaged for so long in what's being called the culture wars that we have almost destroyed community. Groups everywhere are polarized. Larry Rasmussen says the reason people are beginning to talk about community is because community is both indispensable and yet missing. And he points out that industry has replaced community. The modern market has become the model of society as a whole. The market model substitutes consumption for caring and doesn't give a whit about history, our tradition, our culture, our roots. And the result of this market model for society, he says, is not community at all, but glitzy narcissism and busy loneliness. And so it becomes very difficult for needs and gifts to find each other. Our very word, economics, is from the Greek oikos, which meant household community, family. But we have made oikos, economics, into market consumerism. When every area of life is regarded as a market, community is destroyed. We have shifted from the household to the firm as the basic unit of economy. Like every great and beneficial thing, community is elusive. It's not easily defined. And yet most of us sense instantly its presence or its absence. Community generally has to do with the common interests of people living in a particular area. But for better or for worse, community is now defined for all of us as the planet. But community's local face is mutual concern for people living next door or just across town from us. And one has to suspect that something vital is being lost from American life. Unless the general welfare is as important as the common defense, community is devalued. Community is such an easy casualty when looking out for number one replaces it. The quotable Edna St. Vincent Millay reminds us that the world spreads out on either side, no wider than the heart is wide. 
Above the world is stretched the sky, no higher than the soul is high. And that's exactly where community has to happen, in the heart, in the soul. The dimensions of community are measured by heart and soul, and if it doesn't happen there for us, it doesn't happen at all. This community requires constant vigilance. We can lose community almost before we know it. Judd Edwards tells the story of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson on a camping trip. Late that night after retiring, Holmes awoke and nudged his faithful friend. Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. Holmes said, what does that tell you, Watson? He thought for a moment and he replied, astronomically, it tells me there are a lot of stars. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. And meteorologically, I predict that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? And Holmes said, elementary, my dear Watson, it tells me that somebody has stolen our tent. on before we know it. Community is the canopy under which we live. And if the tent is missing, the stars may not even matter. Community begins in the frank recognition that everything is connected to everything else. John Muir, the great American conservationist, observed that when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find that it's hitched to everything else in the universe. Paula Allen notes that snowflakes, leaves, humans, plants, raindrops, stars, molecules, microscopic entities all come in communities the singular cannot in reality exist. And Margaret Young writes, every heart is the other heart. Every soul is the other soul. Every face is the other face. The individual is the one illusion. The characteristic of intense individualism, which proved so valuable to our country in the past, when there was a wilderness to tame and a frontier to conquer, now threatens to undo the community that we need in order to survive as a society. Sociologist Robert Bella, in his popular bestseller of a few years back, Habits of the Heart, says that as human beings, we don't create community at all. It creates us. And our American worship of rugged individualism is destroying the very community that we so desperately need. He calls for a retrieval of a communal ethic and a commitment to the common good. 
Now I ask you, who better to do this than the church? After all, we have a long history with community. It was the early church's community that proved to be so attractive to a world that was shattered and fractured by racial and sexual and gender differences. In the church, those were all abolished. Inclusiveness was the order of the day. Those who had needs mixed and mingled freely with those who had gifts. Community gets born when someone's need becomes everyone's concern. The ancient church in this postmodern world has a singular opportunity just now to point the way forward toward meaningful community once again. Our challenge as a community of faith is to extend community. It's the challenge to partner with other communities who hold a similar allegiance to Jesus, to justice, and to compassion. We may as well not talk about community unless we're ready to discuss justice and compassion. Madeline Lingle writes, if you're going to care about the fall of the sparrow, you can't pick and choose who's going to be the sparrow. It's everybody. Samuel Taylor Coleridge speaks to all generations. He prayeth best who loveth best all things both great and small. For the dear God who loveth us, he made and loveth all. William Sloan Coffin, former pastor of Riverside Church in New York City says, if we Americans have lost a sense of community, it's because millions of us don't love very well. Our souls are growing more shallow and less generous and more vindictive. But Coffin goes on to say, Christ. Christ can integrate the opposites that conspire to pull us apart. Christ. And so this fall, Emmanuel has a once-in-years opportunity to share Christ and to share community. Why this fall? Deep roots of 120 years plus long-time service by a church staff team make our church an oasis at the moment. Emmanuel has come to represent stability in the community. We are known as a loving, praying, sharing church. We have become a haven for troubled and disparate spirits. And community wants to break out in our midst this fall. Never underestimate the power of food to bring us together. And so today we have initiated Sunday breakfast at the church to increase fellowship, to encourage punctuality in starting Sunday school, to make us aware of the visitor among us who comes looking for a community where a class gathers at a designated hour. 
the earliest church as we view it through this window in the book of Acts was a place of caring and sharing. Needs were recognized and accepted and gifts were received in the spirit because people were moved to be generous. And you know what? It still happens even among us today. It happened just recently, just the other week. A woman presented herself at the church office one day asking for assistance. And when she was asked whether she needed financial help or counseling assistance, she said both. She said that she had been drawn to our church, but she wasn't sure why. She was seated in the parlor to await one of the pastors. And while she was waiting, a couple came into the church and stopped at the church office. They said they had noticed our beautiful Bolton Chapel, now visible to the whole community, and they asked for permission to go sit in the chapel and pray. Only a few minutes later, it was observed that the woman in the parlor needing help, had met up with the couple who had been praying in the chapel. They had run into one another in the fellowship hall. And the couple were counting out dollar bills into the hand of the woman who needed help. And the couple explained, we were led into your chapel to pray for reasons that we didn't know. And now we've found the reason. Now I ask you, why are we surprised? The church has always been the place where those with needs and those with gifts find one another. And if this be not community, Such prescient words for right now. I mean, even the specific comments to the Emmanuel Baptist Church family challenged me to think about how I might nurture community in my day-to-day routine. Community being born when someone's need becomes everyone's concern. That's exactly what we need right now. It's time to be about that. I hope you've all enjoyed this edition of A Thin Place Podcast. As always, if you have any suggestions or comments, ideas, please send them to thinplacepodcast at gmail.com. It's also available to stream on Podbeam, Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon. Please rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. Share it with your social media platforms. All of us who love Larry would also love for more people to discover the treasures of these sermons. And thanks again to Larry and Linda Taylor for allowing us to rediscover these sermons in this way on a thin place with Dr. Larry Taylor. Until next time, grace and peace.